Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. Well, today we have an amazing guest with us. I'm so excited. Her name is Rebecca Whitman, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about Rebecca. She mentors burned out women to leave toxic relationships and magnetize their soulmate at any stage of life. Now, Rebecca graduated with honors from Princeton University, and she is the author of international best-selling books, Phenomenal Feminine Entrepreneurs, Business Life Universe, and How to Make a Six-Figure Income Working Part-Time. She was selected as Life Coach of the Year by International Association of Top Professionals, and she hosts the top 5% globally ranked Balanced Beautiful Abundant podcast. Rebecca, welcome to Phoenix and Flame. Thank you, Dana. It's great to be here. <laughs> so happy to have you. Now, you have a philosophy that I, the, the seven pillars of abundance, which I really am interested in and being a psychotherapist, I can see that the backstory of all of these different areas. So I'm just going to kind of back away and let you sort of explain what your seven pillars are and how they came to be and sort of the backstory of how you got to be in this place where you're trying to mentor women in these toxic relationships. Absolutely. Well, I never set out to be a life coach. It totally blows my mind that I was rated life coach of the year by International Association of Top Professionals. I didn't know I'd be a published author or anything like that. I actually moved to Los Angeles 20 years ago to pursue my childhood dream of being an actress. And I didn't realize how hard it would be. I had small parts on big shows like Friends, CSI, and 24. And I had a lot of time to study with great spiritual teachers, people like Michael Beckwith, Wayne Dyer, Abraham Hicks, Marion Williamson. And through studying these principles and learning about the law of attraction, I was able to make six figures working part time. The one area of my life that I really could not figure out was my love life. I had bad relationship after bad relationship, lots of heartbreak. And when I was uh, 41, I finally forced a marriage. I basically forced a square peg into a round hole. I was miserable in the marriage. I filed for divorce after three years. And as my marriage was unraveling, my dad was dying. And it all accumulated, culminated in one week where my dad's funeral was on a Wednesday and my divorce was finalized on a Friday. And in my last conversation with my dad, he said, Rebecca, I want you to write something. I don't care if it's a book, an essay, a magazine article, or a blog. So a few months later, I'm sitting in my financial planner's office and he's like, Rebecca, you've lost your dad in your marriage, yet you're having your best financial year ever. You're coming in here looking radiant and healthy. I think you should write a book and teach women how you did it. 
So I was like, absolutely. So I looked at my life and why I was so resilient as I was dividing my life into seven key areas, spirituality, fitness, emotions, romance, mental, social, and financial. And when I was focused on having a level 10 life in all of these seven areas, I was resilient. Of course, I felt my feelings and felt the pain of loss, but I did not fall apart. My health didn't fall apart. My finances didn't fall apart. My relationships with women didn't fall apart. So I call these uh, areas my seven pillars of abundance. And when you have these seven areas of life in alignment, you are balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Wow. That, that's a, that's amazing. And I'm thinking about these seven pillars and frequently I will see a patient that will come to see me that is doing quite well at work. They're doing quite well in, in maybe some of those pillars, but then other ones, not so great. They could be a rock star at work, but their wheels are totally falling off their vehicle and their romantic relationships. So how would you, what is your suggestion from your experience? How were you able to get all of these pillars in balance? Well, there's always one or two that are not as high functioning as others. And that's totally normal. And that's why someone would hire a therapist or a coach. I, like myself, the two areas that I felt like were lacking were my, uh, romantic life and my emotional life. And all these pillars of life are intertwined. So my emotions were negative, bitter, jaded, and cynical. So guess what? In my romantic life, I attracted guys who would make me feel negative, bitter, jaded, and cynical about men. So when it's interesting, I think of them as seven spokes of a bicycle wheel when one of the one or two of the spokes is off, everything is thrown off. And when everything is working, it just spills in. And what I tell my clients, if they have one area where they're really excelling, like for myself, I was excelling in my financial life, but not so much in my romantic life. I thought about what ways of being and what am I doing in my financial life that's successful. And one of them was, I just was not worried about it. I just had faith that even though I was in all commission sales, that I would be provided for, that there'd always be plenty of money that I'd always be taken care of. And I didn't have that faith at all in my romantic life. I would be like, if somebody didn't return a text, it would be like, you know, a stage five alarm. So I just tried to duplicate what I was doing in the area of my life that was working the best into the area that was working the worst. Got you. So first of all, I like the idea of, of faith. So how did you have in the financial realm? Because that is something I hear people talking about that they don't have that faith. And so I'm, I'm imagining listeners hearing you say that wondering, okay, if I were to start there, how did she, how did Rebecca have faith in that area that she would, you know, the money would be there, that it was, that it was always going to support, you know, she'd always have something to support herself. Um, especially, you know, if you have single women that they're, they're just kind of relying on their own income and feeling a little insecure, kind of unsteady on their pins about that. How did you have faith there in order to be able to transfer it over to another pillar? Well, that comes from having my first pillar, and these pillars are in order of importance for my life, and the first pillar is spirituality. 
So I have a great morning practice where I write in a journal, I read from spiritual literature, I pray, I meditate. And for some reason, I had faith in my, in my uh, financial life because I have been I had been working in all commission sales, you know, for 25 years. And I've just seen through time that even though I started at zero every week, it always just worked out. Also, I think it helped that uh, my parents were affluent. So I didn't, I don't know. I just refused to worry about money, um, which is interesting because my dad worried about it a lot. (laughs) He was a gambling addict and he would, uh, change his behavior based on if he won or lost at poker. I just, I think it's a choice just deciding that you are going to have faith that you are going to be taken care of in your finances. I like to say that God didn't bring me this far to drop me on my head. And if I look back on situations where I felt anxiety, I can look back and know that I'm, I'm going to be okay. And most financial anxiety is fear about the future. And if we look at the moment that we're in, we are provided for. We have food and shelter. We have a car. We have a cell phone. We, you know, we have everything that we need. And I think taking my focus into the present moment of what is the next indicated action, that also helps a lot. I like that. Like, what is the next indicated action? I find myself in conversations with people where I'm like, what is your next step? Because they get so topsy-turvy involved in two things. One, what's happened in the past and grinding about, I should have, should have, could have, would have, should have, could have, would have. And they just, they're just ass over elbows in that line of thinking. And then also in the future, they're, they're five, six, 10 steps down the way. What if this, what if, what if, what if, and they get so wrapped up in fear that they can't even, they don't have the energy left to do, what is the just next step in front of me? What is the next step I'm supposed to do here? So that's kind of what I heard you just say. It's like, okay, what is, what is my next step in whatever pillar that needs to have the, the energy right now? Exactly. Because when I like to call it future tripping, when I get too far into the future, it's like, oh no, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Well, how am I going to do that? But it's like, okay, I can do the next indicated action. I can do what's in front of me. And it's through taking small actions that you can achieve results in any of these pillars. I don't care if it's fitness. I don't care if it's uh, finding the love of your life. Whatever it is, just take the next step, like you say, or like I say, the next indicated action. I like that. What from all the people that you've spoken with and the interactions that you've had with your books and and this type of thing, what have you discovered tends to be the weaker pillars overall? What are the ones that people in general, and I know everyone's different, everyone's on a different journey, but overall, what have you discovered tends to be the, the ones that are harder for people? I think the three most challenging ones are the second one, fitness, romance, and finance. Those are the three biggies. I'm curious about your thoughts on fitness and in terms of females and body positivity and that type of thing. I think somehow men in general, and I obviously I'm generalizing, but they don't seem to struggle as much with 
that area. So do you think, does, does body positivity and accepting ourselves physically and accepting our aging bodies and that type of thing, does that go under the fitness pillar? And is that something that they experience there or am I off base with that? I love this question, Dana. I've been on over a hundred podcasts. I've never been asked this. I absolutely love this question. I think body positivity is a choice. And I feel that women are actually oppressed by the male dominated culture. Let's call it the patriarchy for the sake of this conversation. And they're oppressed to feel like they're not valuable past a certain age. They're, you know, they're like thrown out to pasture after age 50, like, like a cow that no longer can, you know, produce milk. And I think that one of the things that's happening in society is women are saying, forget that. It is changing. I mean, I think it all started with the show Desperate Housewives, where they showed women in their 40s as, you know, sex symbols. And it's it's gone all the way to this week where Martha Stewart at age 81 is on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. So it has changed a lot and it continues to change because women like you and I and the ones listening to this show are like, we're not going to be thrown out to pasture when we're 50. We're still sexy and beautiful. And we get to choose to say, I don't believe those old messages that women are not valuable or beautiful past a certain age. And it's the same thing with body image. It's like nobody looks like the the supermodels in the magazines, not even the supermodels. Everything's That's just it. completely airbrushed and filtered and so fake. And there's also a movement now that, you know, everybody has a bikini body and to celebrate your curves. And it's a choice. It's a choice just to say, you know what, I might not look like the perfect person in the magazines, but I am going to be the best version of myself today. And I really like fitness because I think that women, we get to be strong. Being strong is more important than being, you know, skinny if we're strong, we can like do things that can make our life easier. We can carry our own luggage and we can carry our own groceries and we can walk up and down steps when we're visiting our kids. So I think strong is the goal. So I believe in body confidence, but I do believe people, people get to work out to feel more confident because I've never left a workout feeling less confident, only more confident. Yeah, I, I would agree with that 100%. Um, working out fitness is amazing. And as I'm listening to you talk, I'm also thinking that we as females, we have reached a point, hopefully, where we're beginning to feel good and want strong physical affirmation for ourselves, as opposed to, I want to look a certain way to appeal to a man. I want to look a certain way so a man will want to have sex with me. So he will look at me and think, hey, I would like to get with that. I'm just, let's just be real, okay? That's what we do on Phoenix and Flame. We just speak things as they I really like are. It. Let's just be honest about that. That's why a lot of women, you know, we, we get to the point where we want to wear this. We want to be thin. We want to look this way. We don't want to get old because we want a man to think we're attractive. But I think this is all changing. So in, in that whole, the, the fitness pillar and the strength, you know, the strength that comes with that is that mentality. And I see also how that could fan out 
to impact the other pillars as well. Maybe not all of them, but some of them, particularly like the romantic, that if we're feeling strong and wonderful and beautiful for ourselves, not so that someone else will find us appealing, but that we, we approve ourselves, we affirm ourselves, And then I think that strength kind of fans out. What are your thoughts on that, of how that, that mentality might impact somebody in the, like the romantic pillar or the mental pillar or the emotional pillar? I think fitness and romance are very connected because And I love the comment about women. First, I'm going to go back to the comment. Women used to, you know, want to be skinny or look young because they wanted male approval. They wanted to be sexually desirable to men. And I feel like we are getting over that. But also, I'm going to say women also want to look good for other women. So that's Mm -hmm. not healthy either. It's not about looking uh, fit for male or other women's approval or recognition. It's about the journey with yourself and just wanting to feel confident and sexy. And then that ties into your second point. Yes, when you are feeling strong and confident in your body because you've been moving it and working out, then yes, you are going to be more comfortable in your romance. You're going to feel more confident on your dates. You're going to feel more confident ultimately, you know, being in bed with someone naked because you know that you are loving your body. Your body is a temple and we can either, you know, desecrate it by saying you're fat, you're this, you're that. I hate your skin. I hate your nose. I hate your, that is like, desecrating a beautiful temple. But when we take care of it through exercise and self-care, I'm a big believer in self-care isn't selfish. And whether you have a ton of money or a little bit of money, everybody can take a bubble bath. Everybody can stretch. Everybody can take a walk outside. So I believe that when you are taking care of your body and loving your body as a temple, you are going to make better choices with men too. Because if somebody says, hey, you know, I want to have sex with you on the first date and you know that that's not a good idea. If you say my body is a temple, I don't just share it with anyone. I don't even know you. I feel that that definitely changes your romance. So fitness and romance are very connected. Absolutely. I love everything that you're saying and that we kind of we get to the point where because of confidence, we're holding ourselves in a higher regard. So if someone wants to have sex with us on the first date, we're like, you know, no, I'm, I'm worth more than that. Yeah. You're going to have to, I'm going to have to vet you a little bit more. You're going to have to prove yourself a little bit more because I deserve more. And the whole, the confident thing is huge. Just to, just to have the confidence that I can, I can be who I want, do what I want, how I want, when I want. And I'm okay with my, however, with everything. Like one of the things that I told um, my patients years ago was that imagine that you're this huge mural. Like you go into a museum and there's this huge mural on the wall and it has all these splashes of different colors. And that is you. There's black and there's yellow and there's red and there's orange and there's green and there's brown and there's all of these splashes that represent you and your life. The problem that we have is sometimes we will walk right up to that mural and stick our nose right in the middle of one black splash and ignore all the rest. 
But it's like rather than, you know, if we would step back and see the whole entirety of it and accept the whole thing, it's like this whole thing, all the splashes, all the colors are me. I accept that. And it's all me. And I honor that. And I'm going to go forward and confident in my life that all of that is me. And as I'm listening to you talk about that, I think about me being the, I have the name, the queen of boundaries. And you have to have confidence to be able to say no, to say, to let your yes be yes and your no be no, and to not feel like you have to justify your no to someone. You don't. But if you're confident, you can just say, no, thank you. And their discomfort about that is not your problem. That's that's kind of a whole boundary issue. But if you if you have the confidence, if you worked on that, you know, those pillars that you're talking about and you've, you've developed that, those confidences in there in those areas, then you're much more likely to be able to set healthy boundaries, which is going to come into play in the relationships. I totally agree with you, Dana. I like to tell my clients, do, when you set a boundary, don't justify, defend, or explain yourself because you get to own your nose and own your boundaries. And when you're justifying, defending, or explaining your boundary, you're trying to take care of somebody else's feelings about what you just said. And it's like, we don't have to do that. We do not get to just, we don't have to justify our no. We said no because we don't want to do something, and that's enough. That is enough. If we don't want to do it, don't do it. I also like to say don't do anything out of fear, obligation, or guilt because if you do things, let's say that you show up to uh, an event or a party and you really don't want to go. You're tired. You're not feeling well. You're feeling burned out and you show up, you're not going to be your best self anyway. You're not going to bring love and light to that event. So don't do anything out of fear, obligation, or guilt. Women are taught that selflessness is good and that selfishness is bad. But when you're selfish, that's not bad. That just means that you are honoring your wishes. You're filling yourself up first. So when you do go out into the world, you can be a better friend, a better coworker, a better wife, sister, mother. All the roles that women play take a lot of energy and if we're coming from depletion rather than abundance, then we are not going to be truly of service to the people around us. That is absolutely, I agree. I, everything you said, retweet, ditto. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic because, you know, when you talk about boundaries, part of it is honoring yourself. And the other part is not owning what belongs to somebody else, but you have to take care of yourself. I, I've, I've said to my patients before, there's only one person on this entire planet who has been given the responsibility of keeping you together. Just one. And if you don't do it, then your wheels are going to get wobbly and fall off. And then how, how are you going to be able to be there or show up for anyone that you love? You can't. Right. And it's, it's no one else's responsibility to keep you together, but it's, it's yours. So in a, it's, you know, saying no to things that are not good for you and saying, yes, like you mentioned self-care earlier and it's like how, why self-care is not selfish. We can, I think we are both arguing it's the opposite. Yes. So we can care for other people around us. We have to care for ourselves first. Yeah, I like the little nursery rhyme, you know, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, all the king's horses and all the king's men 
could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And it's like, it's not going to be other people's doing anything to put you back together. Ultimately, it's a decision that you are going to heal from within and you are going to put yourself back together through having alignment in these key areas of life and through self-care and self-love and all the things that having, you know, a balanced, beautiful and abundant life brings you. It is your own personal decision. It all starts with a decision. Mm-hmm. So as you're talking, I'm thinking about a conversation I had recently about someone who had a relative that their mother was trying to get them to go to rehab. And we had, I was having a conversation with them and saying, as long as someone else is the one trying to get you to change, that's not going to work out generally very well overall. Now, sometimes it does, but overall, if it's, if it's other people that are wanting you to change, but you are not wanting to change, it doesn't really pan out very well. So I'm kind of wondering from your perspective and from your experience with, you know, the pillars of abundance and that kind of thing, if someone right now is listening and maybe they have some significant issues in their life. Maybe they have some addictive problems. Like I've just kind of mentioned, maybe everyone around them is saying you need some help, you need therapy, or you need to go to rehab or something, but they can't quite seem to care about themselves enough to do that. They can't quite seem to make that decision that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. What suggestions would you have to, to get to that place because I think sometimes logically we know and we see people out in the world that are that seem to be doing all the right things and making all the right choices. Their life is turning out great. And secretly, we kind of hate them. Just, I'm just saying, you know, we kind of love them and hate them at the same time. And it's kind of like for if someone is listening and they're in a position where they would like to make better choices, but they don't quite seem to be able to make that choice. What would you say to them? Well, this is a great question uh, because I have been going to Al-Anon, which is for people who are affected by others' uh, addictions for 23 years. And I would say that if somebody wants to drink, there's nothing you can say or do to stop them. They have got to hit bottom. And the elevator goes down different levels for different people. It goes down as low as as they need it to go. Some people, you know, just, you know, get a car repossessed. Other people are homeless. Some people get a divorce. Other people, you know, it's just, you have to allow someone the dignity of their own path and their bottom is their bottom. And some people will never hit a bottom. They'll be a functional alcoholic or, you know, they will, uh, end up ODing. So, I know it's really, that's why Al-Anon exists because it gives the people who love addicts and alcoholics support, but you can't make anyone want to go to rehab or treatment. You can't make anyone want to give up their addiction. You can just be loving and supportive and set boundaries so that their addiction and behavior doesn't affect your life. And it's about giving people the dignity of their own path sharing, yes, there are rehabs, there are 12-step meetings, there are therapists and coaches that can help you on this journey, but you've got to be ready. So you can't make anybody want to, you know, give up an addiction. It's, it's a very personal choice. And I know for parents, 
having tough love helps an, a child alcoholic hit bottom faster. Like if you're enabling them and giving them your credit card and letting them come home at five in the morning, drunk and high and not setting boundaries that actually prolongs their bottom. So having boundaries around their behavior where I'm going to lock the door if you don't get home at midnight and I'm going to cut off uh, your using the credit card if I see that you purchased alcohol. You know, setting boundaries can help them hit it faster. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a journey between the addict or alcoholic and their own path. I love that. I love what you're saying. And of course, anytime anyone mentions boundaries, I'm like, yay, <laughs> because that, you know, boundaries is a, a way to prevent codependency from happening. Because um, like you said, maybe there's people listening that they have a loved one who isn't really doing well in the pillars and they're trying to figure out they love them, but how do I interact with them? And you love them, but you also have the right to set boundaries and not not allow the natural consequences of their choices to fall on your head continually. You know, the natural consequences of their choices needs to fall in their yard, not in yours. And that way, like you said, that will help them to reach their bottom quicker so they can possibly make a decision to turn around and do something helpful. Now, we're, we're just about wrapping up, but I did want to ask you a question. I know you said earlier that we talked about the law of attraction, and I have seen this so, so much about how dysfunction attracts dysfunction and healthy attracts healthy. And so when you, when you're, when you're going out in the world and you have areas of dysfunction, you tend to attract that. And the reverse is also true. So you have a question about how to magnetize your soulmate, how to like create that, that attraction from them to you using the seven, seven pillars of attraction Tell us about that as we wrap up, because that sounds very, very intriguing to me. Yeah, well, the seven pillars of attraction are important because I'm just going to summarize them because we're at the end, but it's about cleaning up and forgiving yourself for your past relationships. It's about getting clear on what you want. And then it's about going out and stating your dating purpose. Like women are, we're taught, oh no, don't go on dates and say you want a lifetime partner or a husband, or you want to be a mom because the people are going to go running away for the hills. Well, I say, that's good. Let them run away. You know, you've wasted a lot of time giving your heart to the wrong people. If you're clear about what you want, then you're going to be able to track what you want. So once you're once you're comfortable stating your dating purpose, then I just, I have uh, some strategies about dating. I don't believe we should date one person. We should date, you know, at least three people because we want to just socialize. I'm not talking about being intimate. I'm talking about socializing because you want to keep your options open and let the best man win. So, or the best woman, if, if a man is listening. So you don't want to just be prematurely monogamous with one person and then when you commit, commit. Like people in this culture have the BBD syndrome, bigger, better deal. As soon as they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, they're like, oh, look at that shiny object over there. Maybe they would be better for me. And then they cheat or they can't commit. Commit to that person for a year. Give this relationship a year of your life to see if it could possibly be the one. And then at the end of the year, decide. And there's one other thing that I teach as far as magnetizing your soulmate is not to have 
intimacy, not to have sex until you have negotiated exclusivity. And that means sexual and social monogamy. So a lot of people will negotiate sexual monogamy, but the other person's still able to have lunch and coffee dates and FaceTime with other single people. And it's like, no, negotiate sexual and social monogamy. You're worth it. If they're not willing to do it, then bye-bye. I love those things. Oh my gosh, it's just that's just piqued um, my interest and I'm sure the interest of my listeners of what really to dig in and be able to read more of what you're talking about. So I want to make sure that we get them to you. We want to get them to where they can get more about you. So what I have here is RebeccaElizabethWhitman.com. Is that where you want them to go? Yes, that's my site. We'll have to do another podcast and just dig deep into uh, the seven steps to magnetize your soulmate. But yeah, RebeccaElizabethWhitman.com. Uh, you okay. can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at Rebecca E. Whitman. And then I'd also like to give a gift to your listeners. I have an amazing abundance journal that I've been doing every morning for 30 years. It absolutely reframes my mindset. It turns my thinking from negative to positive. It helps me manifest in all these seven areas. And I am going to give your listeners the abundance journal as a gift. So uh, I will uh, include that link, Dana. And also I have a link tree. Uh, that has all my, you know, current courses and offerings and different fun things. Like I have seven pillars of abundance in seven days for $7, just so you can immediately get some movement and some shifts. So I have all kinds of fun things on my link tree as well. That is awesome. Thank you so much. Well, Rebecca, this has been awesome. I, I, and you guys don't know, but Rebecca was so patient with me in the beginning. I'm still having some technical issues. I got this new laptop and all aggravated. I couldn't get it to work right. So she was so, so patient as I was kind of working my way through that. Thank you for your patience. Of course. <laughs> and also your grace and your time and your energy that you're, that you're willing to come and expend for my listeners to benefit from that. Thank you, Rebecca, so, so much. You're so welcome. It was a pleasure being on your show. And patience is something that I... I love to cultivate. I like to say I'm passionately patient. <laughs> I love that. And it was well appreciated today. I'll tell you that much. Well, listeners, I know you've heard something today that has just been amazing for you. And probably you're thinking, I have a good friend. I have a coworker. I have a relative that would so, so benefit from what Rebecca has to say in her, her seven pillars of abundance. And then also possibly later, we'll talk more maybe about the seven pillars of attraction and wanting to know more about what Rebecca has to share. So take this episode, copy and paste the link, put it in your texting, put it in your email, put it on your favorite social media platforms. Let's really expand our Phoenix and Flame community and really reach out and share what Rebecca has to say so we can support each other and be there with one another as we're trying to walk our individual paths through this life, through grace and through acceptance and through just non-judgment as we just are there for one another. I hope you've had a great day. I hope the rest of your day goes fantastic. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.